Welcome to our Wednesday Bible study, the book of Hebrews. In this video, we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to see a topic that I, I really love personally, and it has to do with the tabernacle. And we're going to see the tabernacle from the Old Testament, but more importantly, what that means for us today in the New Testament. So let's dive into this chapter. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. So I love how the first few verses of this chapter starts off describing into, uh, I don't know, what I would call a bit of detail. But then he says in verse five, well, we don't, we can't discuss these things in detail right now. Uh, I guess I have a tendency of doing that too, because maybe I give you quite a bit of details, then I'm like, well, we don't have enough time to go into all that, so we'll go into it later. Uh, I, I guess I'm not the only one who does that. The Hebrew writer does that as well. But in this chapter, we see this tabernacle, which I, I need you to understand something about the tabernacle before we keep reading about this. The word tabernacle, it just means tent. That's all that it means. It was a portable temple. Um, and, and really, there was a lot of similarities uh, between kind of the temple and the tabernacle. Really, the temple was just an expansion of what the tabernacle was. And I think it's important to note that in the book of Hebrews, the, the writer doesn't go to the temple, even though whenever he was writing the book, that's what existed in his day. It was the temple. That's not what the Hebrew writer focuses on. He goes back to what God originally mentioned. And that original plan was it to be a tabernacle, which basically it just meant it had these three distinctions. It had the courtyard, then it had the holy place, and then you have the most holy place, closer and closer, if you will, to getting toward God. And there was more restrictions as to who went into each place. We'll dive into that in this chapter as well. But as you got closer into the holy place, only some people were allowed, but then into the most holy place, only one person was allowed. Uh, so all of these things, it has to do with with, uh, I think there's a lot of great parallels that we can see in the New Testament between these elements that were in this tabernacle originally that God placed uh, about the lampstand, the bread. We also see the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant. And I didn't mention the altar outside because that's that's in the outside the courtyard. That's where all these sacrifices were, were taking place as well as the, the wash basin where they would wash before they would enter in closer to the presence of the Lord. But once again, I guess we don't have enough um, time to, to discuss in detail what these things are. But even though I'm going into a little bit more detail anyways, uh, what we do see is this, this wonderful picture. And I think it's great for us to understand what the tabernacle is all about. And uh, I really love the idea of what the tabernacle stood for. But I love how it's an illustration to something greater. Um, an another comment about this being... Um, that the last statement there that we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Um, it is very interesting that the writer doesn't go into the current situation because what he mentions there in verse four is he talks about how the ark contained this gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded, 
and the stone tablets of the covenant. Those are all things that God wanted it to contain at the beginning. However, if you follow the Ark of the Covenant throughout the Bible, what you will find is these elements kind of get lost with time and they no longer are, are within the Ark, uh, most of them. And at some point, when you're reading through the Bible and you come to a place, you just eventually realize they lost the Ark of the Covenant and they never really got it back, so it seems. Um, that's kind of interesting because during the actual days of Jesus, if you remember whenever that, that veil was torn from top to bottom and that, that uh, the dividing line was just opened up there, um, well, the holy place, the I'm sorry, the most holy place, it wouldn't have even contained the Ark of the Covenant by that time because it had been lost. Um, so what the temple was during the time of Jesus is not what it was really supposed to be. It was supposed to be so much more. And that's what the Hebrew writer is getting back to. He's, he's going back to kind of the blueprint, so to speak. And another thing about the tabernacle as opposed to the temple, uh, the temple expands on it. And really the temple makes more dividing lines. And it says things like, oh, well, if you're a Gentile, you can only go this far. If you're a woman, yeah, I know, it's, it's weird. But if you're a woman, you can only go this far, which is a little farther than, than the Gentiles, but not as far as what a man could go. Well, if you're a Jewish man, you could go so far, but then also with the temple, you know, if you're a priest, you could go a little bit farther. And then if you're the high priest, of course, you could go all the way. Now, some of that distinction is from God, uh, but a lot of those things like how far at the very beginning, like how far the women could go and the men and then the Gentiles and all, those are things that were placed on the temple later, years and years later. Originally, it had a simple layout, three distinct places. You had the courtyard, the holy place, the most holy place, getting closer and closer to the footstool of God, the presence of God here on earth. Kind of, if you will, it was a little bit of heaven on earth. That's kind of how they thought of it. And they really thought of it as you went to the, the temple, or as you went to the tabernacle, you were in the presence of God. You were in the, like, you were in the location of heaven itself. That is how uh, Jews oftentimes thought about it. And that's how it's kind of spoken of. Uh, in the scriptures. If you want more details about kind of what temples are, and I would encourage you to, to watch this video at some point, um, the uh, the organization called The Bible Project, uh, they put out a video on temple um, that I'm going to try to have a, a link for it. So if you kind of look at the description down here uh, in this video, you will see a link, uh, hopefully if I remember to put it there at least, you will see a link to that Bible Project video that you can watch on YouTube, uh, and it will go into some of these things. And I would Highly encourage you to uh, to take a look at that too as part of this study. Um, it, it will mean even more what all this chapter is about. It will mean more if you if you watch that video. Uh, let's keep looking though because there's a whole lot more of what the writer wants us to get about the tabernacle. Hebrews chapter nine verses six through ten. Now, when everything had been arranged like this, how he just described it. Okay, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people who, uh, I'm sorry, for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They were only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations, 
applying until the time of the new order. So in these verses, we kind of get a little bit more of that information there that, yes, there were closer and closer rings toward getting toward God. And some of those, the priests were just regularly going into that, into that outer room. Uh, they were going into the, the holy place and they had these duties that they were just supposed to carry on. That was part of their ministry that they would serve before the Lord. But then that inner place, that inner room, the most holy place, as what verse 7 says, only the high priest could enter. And whenever he entered, he only did it once a year. And every time he entered that once, one time a year, he had to go with blood, not his own blood, but the blood of these, uh, these bulls and goats, so to speak, that was offered for his sins, then for the sins of the people. We've already seen this with Jesus Christ, that whenever he came, he offered up himself, but it wasn't with the blood uh, of bulls and goats, but it was with his own blood. And we're going to see this uh, both in this chapter and then also in the next chapter. And we've already kind of seen this. Uh, the Hebrew writer continues to mention some of the same things over and over again uh, because th they needed to understand this. They needed to see times have changed in this new covenant time. We also see that, that the tabernacle itself and also the temple later were illustrations of what was to come. In verse 9, it actually says that this is an illustration for the present time. So in the book of Hebrews, he's you know writing during his own time that what was written before was an illustration of what they were experiencing right then and there through Jesus Christ. The same can be said for us. Every time we read about the temple and how great it is and how holy it is and how wonderful that God's name is there, all of this was just pointing toward and can serve as an illustration for us today. The temple has changed. It's no longer about a physical temple. In fact, we ourselves are called in more than one place the temple of God. Like, you know, collectively that the church is where God dwells, not just with his people, but within his people. Um, also, you will find several passages in, in which uh, our own individual bodies are referred to as the temple. So God's dwelling place is within us individually as well as us collectively. Um, just kind of some things that have changed under the new covenant. Under this, what's referred to in verse 10 at the end is this new order. So all these other things, they served a purpose. They served a, a, a wonderful illustration. And they were also kind of an illustration that they would act out, if you will. And I'm not saying like in the sense of a play. No, they were doing this because they were being obedient to God. God said, sacrifice these animals. God said that if you do this type of sin, you have to um, offer this type of sacrifice. They were doing that. And it was a, it was a ceremony and there was ritual to it. But it was also necessary. You know, sometimes we kind of think that, oh, well, ceremonies aren't necessary or rituals aren't necessary. Well, you know, oftentimes they actually are. And the symbols that they represent are so much deeper. For example, like uh, in the New Covenant, when we take of the, the Lord's Supper, that's kind of one of the close things that we see to a sacrifice, so to speak. But we don't actually see a sacrifice, but we see the representatives of that sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed himself, and because of that, we take of the bread, which symbolizes his body. We take of the, the uh, grape juice, which symbolizes his blood. And we kind of see that, that sacrifice being um, kind of enacted, or at least reminded of us. Uh, it, it, we are reminded of that, sorry, um, every single week. And, and it's a wonderful occasion. We are in this new order. We are in this new covenant time. Uh, things are new. Things are different. Uh, 
things are wonderful under Jesus Christ, and we have these great blessings today. We don't have to go to some tabernacle. We don't have to go to some temple. We ourselves are the temple, and we are functioning as that. Uh, so all these things are great illustrations to, to see how great we have it now and how wonderful of a sacrifice it is that Jesus made on our behalf. Let's take a look at that sacrifice now. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So in this passage, what we are experiencing here in these verses 11 through 15 is that there is this more perfect tabernacle. It, it's, it's a new uh, way to be able to see this in this more perfect tabernacle. Uh, we have a new sacrifice, this wonderful, perfect sacrifice of Jesus himself. He didn't come with some something else's blood or even someone else's blood, but he came with his own blood. But he didn't enter into this tabernacle here on earth. You know, he didn't go into the temple, even though whenever he himself died, if you remember, that temple curtain was torn in two. So, I mean, the temple was involved, if you will. But, you know, the earthly temple was involved to a degree. But it was just a symbol of what was really happening, that when Jesus died, his blood was taken into heaven itself. This is the true tabernacle. Uh, also, we've already kind of seen that the tabernacle and also the temple uh, were supposed to be made according to the pattern because they were a, a pattern. They were a copy of what is in heaven itself. That's where Jesus went. Jesus went into heaven itself and he offered up uh, into, this more perfect into this more perfect temple. He offered a more perfect sacrifice. A and we are... We get to benefit from that. I mean, that's a wonderful, uh, very beneficial thing that we can experience today. And because of this, Christ is our mediator, like what verse 15 says, because of this, he's our mediator of this new covenant. We can experience great things through Jesus Christ. But guess what? The details aren't over. There's still more. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 through 22. Now what we're going to see is kind of uh, deeper details about this will. Um, this will is, is uh, connected with the covenant, also connected with the testament. Like the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that there was a changing of this will, a changing of the testaments uh, around the time of, of Christ, that he initiated that change. And now we're going to see more details about that. So Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 through 22. In the case of a will... It is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses 
had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people. He took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll in all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So in these verses, yes, I said that we see this deeper detail about the will, but it all leads up to what we see in verse 22, that pretty much everything had to be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. See, sometimes we can kind of not always think about how important blood is, but blood is very, very important. In fact, several times in the scriptures, it's, it's connected with life itself, that whenever you don't have the blood within you, you don't have life. And, and even in a you know, time of science uh, and, and all this, this medicine and the, the medical field that we experience today, that's very different than what the Hebrews experienced, we still recognize that fact. I mean, the blood that you have within you is, is so important, so crucial to life itself. And it also is that symbol of life. And Jesus Christ gave up his blood. He brought that blood uh, as a way. And, and he also, he, he died. And because of that, we see that the, the testaments changed. We are now under a new testament. Uh, we are also uh, under this, we have this blood of the new covenant. It's not just the blood of the old covenant that was you know animal blood but now it's the blood of a new covenant which is the blood of jesus christ himself a wonderful sacrifice for a wonderful tabernacle all things being made new and we see that truly forgiveness of sins can come to us today because of what jesus has done and the rest of this chapter continues to to kind of give us more details about that even let's keep reading hebrews chapter 9 now verses 23 through 28 it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands that is only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And with that, we come to the end of this chapter. But in this, we, we see so many great things to understand of this sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave for us. As we've already seen several times in the book of Hebrews, Christ did not go just into this earthly tabernacle. No, the heavenly tabernacle needed better blood than the animals. It needed the blood of Jesus Christ. We see that Jesus entered into not the earthly copy, but he entered into heaven itself. And he did that to appear um, for us in God's presence, as verse 24 talks about. So as he went into heaven itself, he went into the real most holy place, not just the copy here on earth, into the real most holy place. And he did it once for all 
that's whenever he he bore sin and he made a way for us to receive this salvation. I mean, this is wonderful. And we also see that in verse 26, at the time period in which he did it, it's called this culmination of the ages. That's whenever Christ came. He came at the, the culmination, the very climax, the very pinnacle of human history is when Jesus Christ came in order to sacrifice himself. And he only did it once because once was enough. It was a perfect sacrifice to make, um, to, to do away with sin. That's what Jesus offered for us. And we see that that he did that uh, in such a way that, that uh, he does not need to every year be able to offer up, uh, you know, himself. He did it once, that's it. And at verse 28, we see that Christ will appear again. You know, we, we typically call it like when the Lord returns or when, when Christ returns, whenever he comes again. We see this beautiful thing. I want to read verse 28 again because this is a, a great verse for us to end on in this study, in this chapter. We read, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So we find out and we know that Jesus Christ is going to come back. He is going to appear again. He is going to return. But he's not going to do it to do something about our sin. He already did that the first time. See, sin was dealt with the very first time that Jesus Christ came. Now, whenever Christ comes back again, whenever he comes for the second time, what we're going to see then is we're going to see salvation. That's what he's coming back to, to give us. You know, sometimes whenever we think about the Lord's return, we, we think about how it's going to be, oh, there's going to be judgment and, and we're going to see the, the sheep and the goat separated or different images like that that are used in the scriptures. And that's true, but we need to recognize the point of that and the purpose of that. The purpose of that is to separate those who are following God apart from those who are not following God. And then those who are following God, we see that there's going to be salvation that's brought to them. Have you experienced salvation already? Yes, in a way that we, we already have. We've already started to experience that salvation process. But salvation is something that it's not just like a one-time thing. You know, no matter uh, what, what you believe about salvation, you, you can't think that it's just a, a one-time thing because there is a moment in which you go from, yeah, being lost to being saved. Yes, you receive salvation. But then in order for you to, to remain following God, being faithful, it, it means that you have to continue to act on that. You have to continue to follow Jesus Christ and, and to, to follow the way that he has placed before us. But then we also see that that not only is it a, a thing in the past for those of us who are Christians and a thing in the present in which every single day we have to follow that same pathway, but it's also something, our salvation is also something that we will see in the future, that Jesus Christ is going to bring us whenever he returns. That's great news. This is wonderful news that he's going to bring salvation to us. So all of these efforts that we put forth here in this life, everything that, that we've done to follow Jesus Christ, we're going to see that ultimate salvation. We're going to see that ultimate deliverance whenever he returns. Are you ready for that day? Because right now is the time to plan. We know he's coming back and we know he's going to bring salvation for those who are waiting for him. Are you waiting for him?